0: Good morning, church. God is good. All the time. And all the time? God is good. All right. Now we have a special guest speaker with us today, and you did not convince her that God is good all the time. <laughs> She's like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. God is good. All the time. And all the time? God is good. All right. A little better for you. A little better for you. We have a treat today in having uh, Dr. D. White with us. Uh, She is Assistant Professor of Theology at School of Religion in Loma Linda. Uh, Her specialty is Old Testament. And um, so I asked her several months ago as I was preparing the preaching calendar, I wanted to get her over here, and I I said, uh, I would love to have you preach on whatever is on your heart from the Old Testament. And so she's come prepared to do that. And uh, um, Dr. D. White, I was very blessed by your message in first service and uh, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, and chapters, books of the Bible, those four small chapters. <laughs> um, thank you so much for the word that you're bringing, and uh, let's just welcome her here this morning.
1: Thank you, Pastor John, and happy Sabbath, second service. <laughs> All right. I want to, just before we begin, um, give my Great appreciation, of course, to your pastoral team, but also to the musicians. Wow. Yes. 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 I thought, I thought someone might start that clap sooner than that. Um, you know, the Ministry of Music is something that... Um, <laughs> you don't get a band like this at every church. And uh, you may have been attending Calamisa so long that you think this is normal, but it's not. And I hope, um, I really hope you would take the time to appreciate your musicians and your praise and worship team and all the people that go to making this worship service what it is, all the way to the uh, folk who design the beautiful floral arrangements. Uh, We ought to appreciate every single one of you. So thank you so much for all that you do. Today I want to talk about faith. And because faith is such a difficult thing, Uh, It's something that I believe we need extra help from the Holy Spirit. So I would invite you just to say a short prayer with me uh, and bow your heads as we begin and ask for God's continued guidance. Father, I thank you for this moment where you speak to us. We have sung to you. We have prayed to you. We have offered what we have in our financial resources, and we don't want it to be a one-way street. We've talked, we've sung, we've prayed. Now we want to hear what you have to say to us as well. As we open your scripture, we ask that your Holy Spirit will do what only he can do, which is minister to each one of us in a very specialized way, to meet the needs that we bring to you and the circumstances in which we find ourselves. May our faith in you be strengthened, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The journey of faith. We read our beautiful um, scripture reading and if you're anything like me, you're a very concrete person. And so you like stories because sometimes some of that theological speak and talk can be a little bit abstract. And so Paul goes telling us that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. He tells us that God has his ways of working things out for our good. And he also says that nothing, not famine, not hunger, not persecution, not things that have happened in our past or things that are happening now can separate us from the love of God. And that sounds really good. But sometimes it seems like, how does this actually work out practically in my own life? And so, as God always does, he provides very, concrete examples for us and ways in which we can observe the stories of others. And as we're looking at the biblical text, we find ourselves looking at the mirror at our own lives. So I'm going to invite you to a very familiar narrative uh, for many of you, and that's in the book of Ruth. And I would invite you to turn in your Bibles there as we'll be looking primarily at the first chapter there. The story goes that Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, have two sons, and they are living in Bethlehem, the house of bread, which ironically is facing a famine at this time. And so, as many couples do all around the world, they sit down to have that family meeting. How do we seek better prospects? for not just ourselves but also for the children and Naomi and Elimelech find themselves in the category of some of us who are immigrants or who become strangers in other lands that we formerly have not known and they go to seek better food security perhaps even better job work opportunities and that's the first thing about faith that on our journeys of faith we will inevitably encounter famine even in the places that are promising fruitfulness and productivity and amazing things In our journeys of faith, we will experience famine. Those dry places, those moments in which faith doesn't look very attractive or doesn't seem to be producing the fruit that we want. They go to Moab. Everything's going well for a time until tragedy strikes. And this tragedy is in the form of Elimelech dying. Perhaps some of you know what it's like to make a journey with a loved one. Perhaps a parent, a sibling, a spouse, a best friend. And then you're suddenly the one that's left behind. Naomi loses her partner in life, but through that tragedy, she still feels that there's something to live for. Actually, two people that are keeping her going. Her sons, Marlon and Killian. And then that great and happy day comes Like it happens for all of us when we face the downs in life, inevitably there will come an up moment, something great will come our way. And Marlon and Killian come home, as sons do, and they come to their moms and say, Mom, I think I found the young lady I want to marry. And in come Ruth and Orpah. So two marriages, the possibilities of grandchildren, a new life and hope, and leaving behind the painful memories of Elimelech being gone. So Naomi has more to live for, a future to hope for. And 10 years go by, no grandbabies arrive. And in the 10th year, something happens again. Both of Naomi's sons die. Now here, the narrative doesn't give us any details, no reasons what happened. Does, did they have injuries at work? Did someone go out um, on, a, on a hiking trip or on a mountain climbing trip and fall to their death? Um, was it a... a, a and a terminal illness? Was it something that took, you know, a year for them to die? Or did they just die suddenly? No reason is given. And I think here, this is quite instructive, because isn't that what makes some things in life so traumatic? It's when you just don't understand. You just don't have any answers. Not only has this tragedy happened, but you can't even wrap your mind around the reasons as to why. Why now? Why this? Naomi, the text tells us, is now left alone without her husband, She's a widow. But what's the name for a parent that loses a child? What do you call a parent that loses two children? Now things are really serious. One death, she tried her best to get over that. But two sons, I came all the way to Moab. I had my family in tow. Now it's just me left, just me. Ever felt like that? It's just me. But I want to suggest to you that what makes this even more tragic, as Naomi is contemplating having to turn around and go back to Bethlehem, is the fact that she cannot even bring her loved ones with her. Now, some of you here may be from, or you may have people in your lives, family members, friends, who are from non-Western traditional cultures. And just like this ancient Hebrew culture, even today in traditional non-Western cultures, where someone is buried matters just as much as anything else they've ever done in their life. And it reminds me of when my grandfather was ill, We had to fly him from Ghana, which is where my family is from. Ghana is a country there in West Africa. And we had to fly him to the UK for treatment. Unfortunately, he didn't end up recovering from that treatment. And so he died in a strange land. And our family invested in flying his body all the way back, right there from London, England, all the way back to Ghana, West Africa. So we could bury him in the same plot of land that his mother, his siblings, her mother, and generations back have been buried in that same plot. And I know there were people at work or at church who were wondering why we would go through all that and why I would then spend money to travel all the way back for that funeral. And that's because if you don't come from that culture, you don't understand that someone's final resting place and where they are buried means just as much as any, anything else that they did in their life. That's where people go and they remember them. That's where you take your children and you point out to them that this was that person and this is your ancestor and this is that person and, and so on and so forth. And that's pretty much what the Hebrew culture also believed. And so this is why Jacob, when he's right there, having finally been reunited with his son Joseph, he makes Joseph take an oath. Swear to me that when I die, you will trek back to Canaan and bury me there. And it's also why Joseph, when he is about to die, he makes his relatives also swear on earth. And he says, when you all finally leave Egypt, don't leave my bones here. And we know that the Israelites don't leave Egypt for another 400 odd years. And sure enough, when they are about to leave, Moses goes and gets the bones of Joseph and the Israelites trek out of Egypt with these bones so that when they get to the promised land, they can put these bones in the final resting place. I want to suggest to you that part of what traumatizes Naomi is that she's not going to get to do that. For Elimelech, for Marlon, for Killion, she's going to have to leave them all behind in a strange land as she turns around and goes back home to Bethlehem. So the narrative tells us, Verse 6, that she rises up with her two daughters-in-law to return from Moab to Bethlehem because she hears that God has visited his people. And they have bread there. They are going, all three of them, back to Judah. And this is the part in the narrative we typically miss. Because we picture Naomi right there in the land of Moab, telling Ruth and Orpah, no need to follow me, ladies. Stay right here in Moab. But in actuality, the narrative tells us that all three of them begin that journey. They are actually on their way to Judah. And somewhere outside of Moab, but not quite into Judah, Naomi stops dead in her tracks. Turns to the young women and says to them, go, go back each of you to your mom's house and may God bless you for the kindness, for the loyalty that you have shown to your deceased husbands and to me. what is it that stops Naomi dead in her tracks? What is it that gets her to change her mind, three of them going on a journey, to stopping in the middle of the road and saying, okay, ladies, actually, about turn and off with you. I would like to suggest that what Naomi encounters right there on the road is what each one of us encountered in our own journeys of faith. That thing called fear. You remember fear, right? Fear has the ability to kind of turn off your rational mind and take you to those very uh, scenarios that flash through your mind that don't quite make sense, but they are very real for you. You remember feel. It's that feeling that threatens to overwhelm you. And I think in my mind that Naomi is on that road going back to Bethlehem and she begins to have perhaps some flashbacks of how hopeful she was more than 10 years ago when she was journeying down that road with her husband and her two sons and she looks beside her at these two young women who are following her. She's fearful I came to Moab as a stranger. Look at what's happened to me. They're coming to Judah as strangers. What might they encounter there? We don't know what was going through Naomi's mind, but something stops her dead in her tracks and tells her to tell her partners on the journey we've come this far, but this is far enough. Thank you. It's been emotional, it's been nice so long. Naomi feels like she has to walk the road alone. And there's something about how our Christianity in the Western world has developed that we have emphasized my journey, my spirituality, my Christianity, my faith, and so on, that we forget God didn't create you to walk your faith journey alone. He has given us partners for the journey. He has given us partners for the journey. And that means that those of us who are facing tragedies, who are facing traumas, Do not have to walk the road alone. And that is the difference between Ruth and Orpah. I know Orpah has gotten quite a bad rap historically, okay? But this isn't a difference between good versus evil, Ruth being the good person, Orpah being the evil. No. This is the difference between. People who live their lives by what's normative, by what's expected, by what's ordinary, by what doesn't really cause you to have to go out of your way for people. And for many people, there's nothing really wrong with that. right? Focus on your dreams, your goals. Live that American dream. Have that awesome life. That's normative. That's what society tells us is, is great. So a lot of people won't judge about that. But the difference is that the world needs a lot more roots. People who actually will do things when it basically isn't really going to benefit them. Ruth had no idea that in journeying with Naomi, she would end up being a recipient of a blessing, of seeing Boab, of, of Boaz, of having children. She didn't have any of that in her mind. So Ruth represents people in our communities. You know those people. Who sacrifice for us, even when there's no political capital to be gained, no favors that will end up being owed to them, nothing that we could possibly do or give to them that would repay them for their kindness, but they do it anyway. Ruth makes this declaration to Naomi. Entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die there. And may God do much more to me, if anything but death parts me from you. The narrative tells us that after Naomi realizes (laughs) that Ruth isn't going to listen to a word, she's going to say she will not be put off, she will not be shooed away. The text says that Naomi holds her silence. She doesn't say anything further and the two of them walk down that road together toward Bethlehem. They arrive in the town and the women who are outside taking care of business, they see a familiar figure coming down the road. And a group of them say to each other, Is that Naomi? Or is that what they say? Do they say, is that Naomi? Those two different ways of asking the same question tells it all. The second way of asking that question says that, my goodness, this person who we knew She's a a shadow of her former self. My goodness, what has happened to her? Why does she look so different? And as Naomi gets closer, she tells them, (laughs) look, see that name? I don't even want to hear it anymore. There's nothing sweet or pleasant about my life. Call me Mara, because the truth is that God has dealt bitterly with me. I went out from here full. You saw me. I left here with Elimelech, with Marlon and Kilion. I left here full and look at me. I've come back empty. Nothing to show for my sojourn in Moab. The Moabite dream turned out to be a nightmare. And I'm back. I don't want to hear that name, Naomi. Call me Mara because God has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. On the journey of faith, some of us are going to have to start getting very real and raw with God. Too many of us pray these kind of prayers that are very pretty, flowery. We don't mean a word of it. And I want to suggest to you that what the Bible teaches us, especially if you're reading the Psalms, is that God is more interested in lament than he is in fake prayers, and confessions. God is more interested in you crying out to him and saying, God, have you left me by myself here? God, can you not see how traumatized and in pain I am? God, I am hurting so much right now. God, you gave me all these things. You gave me these people in my life and look at me now. I'm the one who has to survive these deaths. And the Psalms teach us, Naomi teaches us that God doesn't have a problem with people giving lament. And I would pause to say that God actually can work more with people that lament and that are honest about what's going on in their heart than folk who feel that prayers are time for theological assertions or poetry or saying out loud what they think folk in the congregation should be hearing. Through that lament we are able to then see the stark contrast between what Naomi is limited by, which is her human sight, and what God is doing in the background. And at the very moment, when Naomi arrives in Bethlehem with Ruth in tow, talking about, God has just dealt bitterly with me. God has made me empty. I'm nothing. I don't have anyone. I don't have anyone. Naomi doesn't recognize that standing right beside her is the person through whom God will bring fullness and wholeness and hope back into Naomi's life. The rest is history. You know the story. Ruth meets Boaz. But this narrative isn't really about Ruth and Boaz. It's not really about a romance. Well, not of the conventional sort. This narrative is about how an unlikely suspect ends up being a partner on a journey with someone and God uses that journey and that partnership to bring about the kind of result that ends up giving birth to the King David and then generations later produces the Messiah. And all of that, Doesn't happen unless a young foreign widow called Ruth decides to look past the traumatized woman with whom she is journeying and says, I'm going to go on with you. All of that stuff doesn't happen unless, in that moment, Ruth decides, no, I'm not going back home, I'm going with you. Today, I want to ask, who are the Naomi's in our community? And yes, male or female. Who are the people in our community who you think are so, I mean, they've been in church or they've been in this religious thing all their lives. So you think that they have enough resources to make it through the tragedies and the traumas that they have sustained. Who are those people? Those people that are on the verge of giving up because they feel like they have lost it all. Now, it might be difficult because in our day and age, Naomi's don't necessarily want to lament like this. So your Naomi might be someone who is theologically very 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 astute and knows what to say and they might be the person when you walk through these doors they give you that nice happy Sabbath but inside they are on the verge of giving up of throwing in the towel And the Ruths, and there are Ruths, thank God for the Ruths, are the unsuspecting people that God will bring into your life to completely transform. And just like Naomi and Ruth's scenario, they might be of a different generational uh, um, group. They might be of a different ethnicity. They might be of a different uh, religious background. But at that very time, God is going to use those people to work things in our lives that will just blow us away. The trouble is that in our context today, we are like Naomi. We have come back to the promised land not feeling very optimistic at all. And faith, the reason why faith is so difficult is because at that darkest time In the deepest despair, at the lowest point, we can't see it, but God has already provided the resources, the people, to bring about hope, to bring about fullness where there is emptiness, to bring laughter where there are tears, We just need a little help seeing that. Today, maybe you're like me. Maybe you have taken such an interest in the destination that you have not paid attention to the people and the opportunities that God is placing in your life right now. Ask him to open your eyes. Perhaps you are also like me. Where you encounter people who you assume have it all together. But then the curtain gets pulled away and you come face to face with the pain and the trauma and the tragedy And you know that they are on the verge of giving up. And you want to say, God, I want to be used like you used Ruth. I want to be a vessel of friendship, a vessel of hope, a vessel of solidarity and partnership for the Naomi's, not just in this church, but in my neighborhood, in my workplace. If that is you, you find yourself in any one of those two groups, I'm going to ask you to stand. This isn't a general appeal, but this is specifically for people who feel today, I need some of that help from God to see the Ruth, the the resources that he has in my life right now that will help me through this very difficult time that I'm going through. If that's you today, I would just invite you to stand. If you are also asking God, God, I just want you to use me. I've experienced or I've met some Naomi's this past week, this past month, this past year. I really want you to use me to just warm somebody, touch somebody, I mean, give somebody hope on this faith journey. I will invite you to stand as well as we pray and we ask God for his blessings as we go through this journey of faith. Father, I thank you that you do not leave us alone, that your presence goes before us, but I thank you that you don't only just set us on the path and say um, that we believe that you are with us, but you give us human partners. You place people and you place opportunities in our lives that can show us that we are not alone. Today, the folk that are standing in a special way, God, including the preacher right here, we need you to pull back the curtains. We need you to give us that discernment so we can see the people in our lives. We can see how they are really hurting and how they might be traumatized by the things they are going through. And that then, God, you can use us to give hope, to heal, to touch, to minister to, to serve. And then, God, to those of us who feel so in pain, so traumatized that we have hidden behind very pretty prayers and observances and rituals, but we haven't actually come to the point of laying it all before you. Today, God, I thank you that you're big enough for our lament and that you are you are gracious enough to listen to all that we have to pour out to you. Thank you, God, that you are not like human beings, that we can tell you our real feelings and not have to feel that you will leave or forsake us. Today, we thank you for the promise of your presence. We thank you for the promise of your provision. And we thank you for the promise of partners that we do not have to journey in faith alone. And we thank you. We love you. And we say all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Let us receive the benediction. To the God who never lets go, the God who is with us in every high and at every low, may this God keep, sustain, and nourish each and every one. To the God who promised us his presence, his provision, and partners in our faith journey. May that God keep you now, in your calm, or now in your storm. May you always know, regardless of how bitter life gets, that he will never, ever, ever let go